what the Lord is speaking to us right now, this year, 2023, is so important. It has been revolutionizing me internally, and I'm hoping that it would express itself out in how I function with everyone that I function with, from my wife at home, to my relationships outside the home, to each one of you, and to others that you don't know that I have in contact with, that I'm in contact with, that it changes everything about me. Why? Because these expressions of the kingdom, we have been sent to this generation. You and I are the hands and feet of Jesus in this generation. He has nobody else, not just you and me in this room or online, but the church. He has nobody else to express the kingdom to this generation other than his church. Is that true? Is that true? A little louder. Do, do we all agree that there's nobody else other than the church that has the task of saying that the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Angels can do it. In Hebrews, we read that in days past, he used angels. He used prophets. But now, in this generation, he has shown us his purposes and his glory through his son. Now, his son is not here. His son left a commission to his disciples by telling them, you're going to go forward. Oops. Matthew 28. I don't think I have that slide. But anyway, he said to them, you're going to go and you're going to make disciples of all nations. So the discipleship of the nations, the discipleship of people within the nations, as well as the discipleship of nations, is the task that has been given to the church. So what does that look like? What I've been sharing with you over the last number of weeks is that Jesus has given authority to the church to undo or open the gates of Hades. And that there are keys that he has given to the church through his giving them to Peter to undo these gates, to open up these gates. And I said to you that these characteristics, even though I'm using the word key here twice, key in the sense that the keys that have been given to the kingdom and the key characteristics, they're not necessarily the same. And these are not the only characteristics of the kingdom, but they are key ones. So in other words, that there's other characteristics of the kingdom, but these are the four keys, key characteristics that I choose to focus on that are there because they are what Jesus read about from the book of Isaiah when he took the scroll and read it. He said he has come to heal. He has come to open up the uh, undo the, the bindings of those that are in prison and those that are oppressed, to give sight to the blind, to give good news to the poor. And that, that's, wow, that's basically what you're seeing here. Those four, when the church expresses itself in these four areas, the world is changed. When the world doesn't see the church as the agent or the place where healing exists and healing flows out of, the church becomes irrelevant in that society. 
when the church doesn't function in reconciliation, reconciliation between us and God and us and one another and us outside the church, when we begin to hold grudges, grudges against God for not doing things the way I want, grudges against one another for hurting one another, grudges against the world, and if we begin to function that way, the world feels that we are just like another voice. No different. Same with forgiving. If we don't function as the people who have been forgiven and can issue forgiveness, we're no different than the rest of the world. If we're not peacemakers, we're no different than the rest of the world. So in these four categories, these four key categories or characteristics, we need to be an expression, because Jesus was all four of these, by the way. He was the one that was the healer. They would come to him to, to get healing. He was the one that would reconcile parents to their children, even though he said that he brings a sword. But he was reconciling people to one another. He was forgiving people their sins, and they were accusing him of being blasphemous for doing that. He was a peacemaker. He was bringing peace between humanity and God. He was all of that. When we don't function in these areas, we fail God, we fail the world, we fail ourselves. So how do we get there? What makes us different than the rest of the world that isn't functioning in these areas? Let me pause here and open a bracket. There has been many advances in our knowledge in many different areas. We know more today than a hundred years ago about rocket propulsion, about how to use fuel to get a vessel or some kind of aircraft to fly at speeds that a hundred years ago they didn't think possible. We have advanced tremendously in electric vehicle creation. We have a lot more hybrid cars on the road right now. We have a lot more advanced vehicles. We have devices. Are you familiar with this? Can you see this? It's my Google Maps on my phone. Right? It shows me everything around me. I can zoom in. Unfortunately, I, it's not live, so I can't see what cars are in the parking lot right now. It's from a year or two ago. But it shows me a year or two ago, there was nobody in the parking lot at church. It must have been taken on a weekday at some point, the aerial photograph. So it shows us quite a bit. If I were to take this 50 years ago, 30 years ago, if my dad was alive, and I was with him in 1994, and I showed him this device and what it can do, he would be fascinated. We have so much advancement in technology, in knowledge, in, in everything else. We also have advancement in areas of our thinking, how we process things, how we deal with our emotions. We understand more today as a society, as a human people, the human race, 
we understand more today than we did a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago about how the human mind works. We can't neglect that as Christians. We can't say we will adopt and use the technology, but we will not take advantage of the understandings that have grown in the minds of philosophers, in the minds of sociologists and anthropologists and all of those human soft things that we think they're soft, unless you're in it and you know how valuable it is. Okay? Are you with me so far on that? A lot of Christians would disagree with me on this. But there is value in what we have earned in learnings in these areas that we can learn from. On Friday night, I was making the point that in the small group that there's a number of motivational speakers and, and coaches, life coaches that, you know, everybody can be a life coach today. That's a different conversation. I'm talking about those that know their stuff. Okay? They can bring value to a specific area in your life because of the studying and the research and the understandings that they have gained. That's wonderful. We should take advantage of those things. They help you recreate a new mind. Some of you are getting scared now. Where is he going with this? Some people out there can help you change the thinking patterns that you have. And that's wonderful. Those techniques work for weight loss, for uh, prioritizing things in life, for doing things with your mind and your body and doing things and, and helping you and, and focusing your thinking, reshaping your thinking. You know, we can do that in the gym with our bodies. If you have a good coach, they will help you reshape your body, build muscles in areas that you want to work on and focus on. But it's the same in your mind and in your heart. Those services are available. With the heart and the mind, not the physical heart, but like the, the soul, the emotions, we have an ideal that we want to achieve. With the body, we have bodybuilders and we can understand which area of the body we want to work on because we have a template that we want to build towards. With the mind, and I'm not going to, I hope you don't think I'm trying to, you know, dump on the, the motivational speakers or, or the coaches or psychologists. That's not what I'm trying to do. All I'm saying is that everything that they do will be helpful, but it will not be complete if you don't know the blueprint that God has created you specifically for. You can create another person using those skill sets better than who you are today. But that better is not your ideal. It's not your best. It could land in some areas to improve you. But in these areas, you need to understand the mind and the heart of God for you to be specifically fitted and worked on, coached, adjusted, aligned, so that those areas can now become aligned to the purposes of God for you. Let me back up and say, backtrack, not backtrack, but back up a little bit to explain what I mean. Each of us is uniquely designed by God to be fitted together with others in the church so that together we accomplish the purposes of God. 
Ephesians chapter 4 talks about how he has given some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Remember that passage, anybody? We, we, what we call these are the five-fold ministries of the church. Those individuals that are so called apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, I will call them the APEST for short, the APEST. Okay? The APEST individuals have a specific portion of Christ's DNA that they are more alive in than somebody else in another area where they are alive in this specific portion of the DNA. But ultimately, all five of the APEST are an expression of the fullness of the DNA of Christ. Does that make any sense? The Christ DNA, the DNA of Jesus, contains all of the expressions of the people in the church because he's the head and we are the body. I could be the little fingernail on this index finger and you can be the little cuticle around that finger but we each fulfill a function. That doesn't mean that the cuticle has no function. It has. Some of us may be more than that. You could be a little organ down here called the pancreas. Or you could be a kidney. You're filtering out garbage from the body of Christ and dumping it out. Maybe. Maybe you're an eye. You're watching for things that are coming and sort of acting prophetically to see what's coming in the distance. You could be a mouth or a tongue proclaiming things to others. But we each have a specific function. But Jesus, the whole fullness of the body, contained, is contained in the DNA. But where we made the mistake, where we can sometimes make the mistake, is thinking that those individuals in the APEST are simply experts in that field. It's not the case. Each one of these APEST individuals is supposed to be living what they are functioning in. What? Yeah. So an apostle, a person anointed as an apostle, is supposed to be the mission. Because the apostleship is missional. You will expand the kingdom of God. You take it to places it hasn't gone. You build. You're a builder if you're apostolic. But you're supposed to be. Your life is supposed to be. Not your work. Your life is supposed to be the apostleship. If you're a prophetic person, what good is it if you stand on a stage with a microphone and start prophesying and declaring things into the air, but your life doesn't match that? Your life is supposed to be the prophecy. What about an evangelist? You can point people to Christ, but how much of that is transformed in your life? So the transformation that has to happen is on a personal by person, person by person level on a very personal and practical way. The pastor the same way. You can be pastored in your life or you can simply pastor people. We've had situations in Toronto where there's been pastors that have led people like sheep to the Lord. Wonderful pastors. But in their life, it's all disordered. What about a teacher? A teacher can be very functionally creative in putting up slides and pictures and explaining truths and showing you all of these things. But as a teacher, if the DNA of Christ is in you, your teaching gift makes you the lesson. You become the lesson. 
So when we look at these areas, these four characteristics, and we're beginning to function in the DNA of Christ, each one of us is to be fulfilling the transformation of our being so that we can function in these areas, not as just messengers pointing, you know, like signs on the road. Signs on the road, like if you get out of here now and you go north, you'll find a sign that says 401 East. The sign points you, but it's not going to get you to get onto the road. You have to actually get onto the road. We're supposed to be the signs, but also the road. We're supposed to be the transformational agents who have been transformed and actively can produce transformation in the lives of others. We're supposed to be healed so that we can bring healing to others. We're supposed to be reconciled so we can bring reconciliation to others. Forgiven so that we can bring forgiveness to others. The problem with a lot of this is that we're so familiar with it. Everything that I've said to you so far, you probably have heard over a hundred times from different people in different contexts, in different churches, in different sermons. You've heard it all before. I'm not saying anything new. But in my heart, I'm feeling that there is something deeper that we're not hearing when we just hear these words and they can just land. The difference is what the Lord is opening up to us in Revelation. What is Revelation? Revelation is when we have an encounter with God, an encounter with the Father, with the Son, with the Spirit, with God, with whatever expression God expresses himself through. When we have an encounter with him, he imparts to us another layer of the onion peeled off. Abraham was a friend of God. Abraham heard God and God told him, leave your family, leave your home, come with me, I'm going to take you to a new land. He knew God enough to hear God and he obeyed. And in Hebrews, we read that that was counted to him as righteousness. Wonderful. Abraham had one layer of the onion of God's revelation peeled. And then he continues. And God now wants to take him to a deeper depth. And he makes a covenant with him. And he says to him, Abraham, now that you're going to leave your family and go to this new land, I'm going to make a covenant with you. This is Genesis 12. I'm going to make a covenant with you and I'm going to show you how I'm going to deal with you. Did he deal with him according to his righteousness that he accounted to him? Or was that after? That was after. Because he obeyed after he heard the deal. But the deal was, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And after I bless you, I'm going to make you a blessing to others. In other words, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to reconcile you. I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to make you a peacemaker. And after I've done that to you, you will be those things to other people. Abraham. And Abraham says, okay, great, great deal. But he doesn't know how to function in it. So God takes another layer of the onion off. But every time God takes a layer of the onion off 
so that we can come into a deeper understanding of who he is and who we are and how we need to grow in this relationship, there is something of a crisis that we go through. Abraham went through the crisis. He disobeyed God. Eh, debatable. But they went into Egypt and he lied about Sarah being his wife. He told Pharaoh that she's my sister-in-law, or my, my sister, my half-sister. God reveals to, uh, to Pharaoh that it's not true, she's his wife, and they eventually have to leave Egypt. Crisis. What did God do? He continues working with Abraham. Did he give up on Abraham? No. When you fail in these areas, does God give up on you? No. How did you come into the relationship with God to have these benefits expressed in your life? Because of something you earned, you did, you spoke, you, you, you came up with, you obeyed. The only reason we have these things is because of grace. And actually God spoke that and, and said that to the people of Israel in this way. You will know that I am the Lord when I deal with you for your name, for my name's sake and not according to your evil ways. So God has dealt with us in the same way in the Old Testament as he does in the New. He's constantly dealing with us, not according to what we deserve, but according to his goodness and his faithfulness because of his namesake. And we call that grace. So God dealt with Abraham in grace. But every time God wants to reveal something new, every time God wants to reveal a new depth to the same truth that he is, we need to go through an, a process where we suspend, this is carefully now, when the Lord is revealing a new wrinkle or a new depth of his being to us, we can't receive it just intellectually. We have to sometimes, most of the time, suspend our intellect and open up our spirit to receive that revelation. I know some of you are thinking, this guy is insane. Let me give you the example. God talks to Abraham. He explains to him what his process is. And then he tells him, you know that son that I promised I would give to you through Sarah? Take him up to the mountain, tie him up, put him on an altar, and kill him as a sacrifice to me. Everything in Abraham's mind rejects that. It has to, because it's not the understanding of a good God. What God would demand you to offer your promised child as a sacrifice? It doesn't make sense. Another example. There's so many in the Old Testament, but I'm going to go to the New Testament. Mary gets a visit from an angel. She's betrothed to be married. She's a virgin. And all of a sudden, the angel tells her that you're going to be with child. You're going to be pregnant. And it's going to be because the Holy Spirit has made you pregnant. Process that with your mind. Process that, Mary, with everything that you have studied about God and his abilities and his goodness and everything else. That doesn't make sense. You have to suspend your intellect to receive the revelation in the spirit. Does that mean the intellect has no place in our faith? Totally no, it does. It's very important. I just finished telling you. The renewal of the mind and the mind is very important to build up the process that God wants. But when he is t revealing something new, 
What happens historically, and we can see this evidenced by the number of different denominations that exist today. Every denomination that exists today came out of a previous denomination that has come out of the previous one, and each one of them has come out. God shows them, the new ones, the, the people that have come out, he has shown them something that the others could not logically process and fit into the system of theology that they had. So they needed to suspend. Because once you get the revelation, hear me, this, this is critical. Once you suspend enough to get the new revelation, everything before that now becomes brighter and multicolored and more understandable and more focused and higher resolution. Which means, I know I'm talking kind of abstract, but I need you to hang with me on this because it's important. What the Lord is showing us today for 2023 with this new understanding of what we need to step into does not negate everything that we've understood before. It requires us to sort of put a break on everything we've learned before, to redefine it with this new vocabulary and this new insight that he's giving us. And when we do that, all the older stuff that we have will come alive in a better way than we've understood it then. Truth doesn't change. Our understanding of it, our coloring of it, our exploring of it, the way that it reveals itself becomes better. Let me give you an example. This phone has an amazing camera. The generation before it had an amazing camera for that time. The generation before it had an amazing camera for that time. If I come in here with all these different phones and take pictures with each one of them, of all of you sitting here, each one of them will be a picture of you all sitting here. But the first generation phone will not have the capacity to fully express what it's seeing because its camera lens and its capturing, uh, what do you call it, the, the capturing uh, interface will not be able to capture the fullness of what it sees. The next generation has evolved. It will capture more detail. And I will be able to see the little logo on Vahram's shirt. Wonderful. The next generation is going to capture even more until we get to the current generation and it's going to capture even more. So I'm going to see the nuances of the braided hair or, or the, the, the mixed hair of Elahe sitting on her shoulder. I'm going to be able to see more and more detail. It's the same with the revelation of God. As he reveals something deeper to us, it doesn't change the truth of the past. It allows us to see it better, clearer, more bright. Not necessarily bright, but more resolution, more definition more understanding and we'll see how it fits better because of this new thing that he's opening up was the past bad for the time it wasn't do we get rid of it no they're great memories they build one upon the other and the same thing today in the denominations that exist some denominations are stuck where they were stuck in that generation of the phone and that's what they've seen beautiful we celebrate that because they were the transitional step to get us to the next revelation. Do we reject them? Do we say that they're less? No, absolutely not. We embrace them and we honor them for what they have been faithful in receiving. Now, are we better than them? Do we have more than them? No, we just have something that the Lord is showing us in our mix. 
It doesn't make it better. It doesn't make it superior. It just brings fullness to the completion of all the revelations that are necessary for the body of Christ to be that bride that's unblemished, ready for his return. Spoke a lot of big things. How does that translate to you and me? It translates this way. This word, unless. 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 In another translation, the word is except. E-X-C-E-P-T. Accept. Not accept. Accept. Okay? Let's see where the Lord uses it. When it comes to the law, and that was the revelation God had given Israel through Moses. Keep in back of your mind everything that I've said so far. The camera that Moses had to capture the heart of God for Israel was the camera that showed him the law. So he understood the law. He has the law. He has the tablets. And they've expanded the law. They've written books about it. There's the whole Talmud that was prepared by the different commentary rabbis all throughout the history. Jesus comes and says, don't think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That's interesting. Who else fulfilled the law? For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. The law was pretty intense. It had details of what happens if two men are fighting and a woman gets involved and, and she's the wife of, like, to, to that degree, I don't know if you know the story, but it was, it was pretty graphic, okay? It tells you if two men are fighting and the wife of one of them comes in to help her husband by grabbing a body part of the other man, this is what should happen. That's detail, man. And if you know the story, you know exactly what body part I'm talking about. I'm not going to mention it here because it's a little bit X-rated. But you're getting the picture. That's a lot of detail in the law. And Jesus said that all of that he fulfills and he's not going to allow any part of it to go unfulfilled. Interesting. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Wow. He's really big on the law. But whoever practices and teaches them com uh, these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Are you and I living according to the commandments? Is there any commandments you and I are breaking? Wow. Are we teaching to break them? Oh, wow. If I'm teaching you to break one of these commandments, I'm considered least in the kingdom. And if we're doing them all, we're considered great. Let me give you good news. None of us are doing all the commandments. None of us can do all the commandments. That was the whole point of the commandments, to show us that we can't do them. And we need somebody to come that is better than us, with a higher life form, with a higher consciousness, with a higher degree of maturity to fulfill them. And that was Jesus. For I tell you, Unless, wow, unless your righteousness 
this is, hang on here, guys. This is critical now. What's it saying? Unless your righteousness surpasses, exceeds that of the Pharisees and of the teachers of the law, and these were the elite category of Jewish people at the time of Jesus. They were the holy ones. They were the, we consider Pharisees as hypocrites today because we have understood something bitter, uh, bigger. But they were not hypocrites. They were living out the commandments to the nth degree that they can. They had teacher, they were teachers, the Pharisees, and they had disciples, and the disciples would follow them to live according to their way of life. That's why the disciples of Jesus were trying to learn from him his way of life, follow me. So these other Pharisees and other teachers of the law would have their own disciples. And to this day, the rabbis have their own disciples in the Jewish community. And they try to teach them the principles of life, the way of living. And these ones were the elite. And he says, unless, this is word to you and me, unless your righteousness exceeds you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, wow. What hope do we have? Unless our righteousness exceeds. Matthew 18, at the time, the disciples came and asked Jesus, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? If the Pharisees, we have to enter by exceeding their righteousness, who was the greatest? He called the little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said to them, he said, truly I tell you, here it is unless. Unless. Unless means except. Okay? Here is everything that we know and here is the except. On the left side or your right side, Everything that we know is here. The righteousness of the Pharisees. The living as mature men and women. But he says, except, unless. Unless what? You change and become like little children. I don't think he was talking about a machine that you go in and shrinks you. Honey, I shrunk the kids. He wasn't talking about that. He was talking about something different. He goes, unless you become like little children, you will never enter in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so we have to have a different righteousness. We just saw that in the earlier verse. We have to now be changed and be like little children. Could they be the same thing? Or are they two different criteria? Let's keep going. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Now there was a Pharisee, one of those men that were the elite, one of the Pharisees, named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He was like one of the top leaders in the nation. He came to Jesus at night and asked and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher for, that has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, except, uh, very truly I tell you, no one can see 
not just enter, just see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Righteousness exceeding that of the Pharisees, change to become like little children. So Nicodemus asks, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely you cannot enter a second time into your mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter, so seeing and entering, unless they are born of water and of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. So if you and I want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, which I believe that's what you're here for, that's why we're all walking this journey together, that's what we're trying to achieve, we heard the invitation to come follow Jesus. So what do we have to do? We have to be renewed and become like little children. We have to have a different righteousness and we have to be born again. Now, I have the privilege of watching a newborn every day during the week when Ari is with us and Silva's taking care of him. And I'm watching to see what he's doing, what he's learning. And the beauty of it is I see a transformation. I, I have a picture of him when he was three hours and nine minutes when they took a picture and sent it to us from the, the hospital. We couldn't be there because COVID restrictions, so we have the picture. And I see pictures of him and videos of him as he changes. And each one of those things, I realize being born as a child, being born again, being born or becoming changed to be like a baby or a child means having a perfectly clean slate. Means everything that I know here, everything in my experience, Remember when I told you you have to turn off your intellect to step into the new revelation? Well, he doesn't have a bank of revelation that he can hang on to and say, I know these things. He's learning everything one step at a time. What I see in him, in a newborn, is a total dependence. When he was born, he couldn't even stand up. He couldn't get on his knees. He couldn't turn over. He had to sit there, be picked up to be fed, be put down to be changed. He had no self-strength in any way. He was totally dependent. Could God be speaking to us about giving up our own strength, giving up our own righteousness, like the righteousness of the Pharisees, and leaning into Him and saying, Lord, I can't do this. I can't change. I can't modify my patterns of thinking. I cannot change my, my habits. I cannot change my addictions. I cannot change my way of thinking. But I want to be that, like that little child and lean into you and have you change me. You know what's interesting is newborns have 2,800 vision. You know what that means? That means that what normally we would see at 800, They can only, I, I'm saying it backwards. 2,800 means at 20, the normal eye would see 800. But they're only able to see up to 20. They don't have too far depth of field. I think I may have missed that, that uh, explanation. But do you know what I'm talking about? 20-20 vision is what a normal eye can see at 20 and what your eye can see. 
2800 is what your eye can see, but what a normal eye can see. So in, a, in other words, a normal eye can see up to 800, yours can only see to, to 20. But that changes over a number of months. I think I fixed it and I, I'm sure you understand what I'm trying to say. But as we continue, their ability to see further improves until we get older. And then our eyes can't see too far and I have to do this to be able to read what I'm looking at. Right? There's wisdom in God in that, of God in that. But anyway, so the children are not only dependent, not only are they unable, not only are they just at the mercy of something bigger than them, they give up all strength, in other words, when a person becomes like a child. We give up all our striving. We give up all our trying. We give up everything. Unless, unless we become like the children, unless we become like children, these characteristics will not function in us. Then we're ready. Then we're ready for the transformation. Then we're ready to be released and to release the kingdom in the places all around us. What am I saying today? I'm saying that the kingdom of God is right here. And God is inviting us into a renewal. A renewal that requires us to surrender. To surrender what we had understood, to surrender what we have gained, to surrender what we think that we know, to surrender our strength, to surrender our uh, positions, to su surrender our titles, to surrender everything and be like a child that has nothing except what the parents give him or her. When we're in that place, we have everything. Then we can say, like David, the Lord is my shepherd. I have no wants. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I have no lack. The Lord is my shepherd. I have nothing that I lack. The Lord is inviting us into a deeper place of understanding. I'm trying from different angles to say the same thing. And it's the same thing because I'm like so deliberately trying to get us to understand this because it's so easy to miss it because it's exactly the same vocabulary as what you have heard all these years. But there's a depth of revelation that the Lord has that is waiting for us. And this revelation is one where you can throw yourself back into his arms and just rest. You don't need to push. You don't need to strive. You don't need to accomplish anything. And you can and this revelation is just so powerful. Open yourself up to it. Peter puts it this way. Rid yourselves therefore of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk so that, it, so that by it you may grow into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Lord, we surrender. 
you declare surrender. We wave the white flag. We say, you are king, you are lord, you are mighty, you are good, you are father, you are holy. We surrender to you. Lord, this week, throughout the week, grant us opportunities, Lord, where we come face to face with the situations where in surrender we see your face, in surrender we see your victory, in surrender we see your cross, in surrender we obey your words that unless you give up your life you will lose it, but if you give it up you will save it. Give us opportunity, Lord, to see your salvation in action, that we may be good salt, good light, honey on your lips, and a blessing to those around us. As we leave here, may your peace, may your grace, may your spirit go with us. Bless us to be a blessing, in Jesus' name, amen.